Today's episode is brought to you by Craftsy. Calling all crafters. Are you ready to dive deep into your favorite crafting projects and learn new techniques along the way? Then it's time to join Craftsy Premium Membership. For only $1.49, you'll receive a full year of access to expert-led tutorials, patterns, and projects in every category you can imagine. With a massive library of resources at your fingertips, you'll be able to create your best work yet and bring your crafting dreams to life. Don't wait. Sign up now at CraftsyOffers.com and discover the endless possibilities of Craftsy Premium Membership. Thank you so much, Craftsy. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 248 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we're talking about craft fairs with my guest, Jen Gubitza. Jen is the designer and maker behind the handmade brand Zugu. She graduated with a BFA in graphic design from the Maryland Institute College of Art in 2001 and worked as a graphic designer and creative director at Big Blue Dot and the Boston Children's Museum. In 2004, Jen started designing and sewing her own creatures as a hobby to get back to the enjoyment she feels when making things by hand versus mainly on a computer. With the evolution of online selling tools like Etsy and the growth of the maker movement, Jen made the decision to go full-time with Zugu in 2008. Together with her husband, Brian, who's an illustrator, Jen sells her work at fine art and craft shows, conventions, online, and in small shops throughout the United States. Jen has also contributed self-sculptures to gallery shows, designed and produced custom toys and sculptures for corporate clients, and created the Lockheed Puppet for the X-Men New Mutants film. Lizugu Studio is a 12,000 square foot space located on the island of Nahant, Massachusetts, and I am here in Nahant visiting Jen in person, which is such a treat. So Jen Gubitza, welcome. Hi, Abby. I'm so glad to have you here in the space. I know. We have been online friends for a long time now, and it's wonderful to actually come here. I've never been to Nahant before, and I felt driving here like I was going on vacation because it's like the seaside, beautiful location. So lucky you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm super, super lucky to be like a block away from the beach. Um, And yeah, driving out here every day is just like the view is just the water. And it's always so nice to come out here. (laughs) Absolutely. And your studio is amazing. So we are in the basement. Is this a converted school? It is. It's a schoolhouse that was built in 1912. um, And it's now the Nahant Community Center. And so I rent 1200 square feet in the basement. And yeah, it's a pretty great space. It's fantastic. And how long have you been here? It's so nice to have this space that's sort of not in your home where you can have all your mess and all your projects, leave things just the way you want them, come back the next day and, and keep going and then also go home and have that separation too between work and home. Yeah, it's really the separation is great. I say the, the best thing I ever did for our marriage was move out. so because we both are artists and so we work we were working from home for a while and then when I got this space it's like when I leave here I'm home when I'm home I'm home when I'm here I'm working it's so great and I think I've been here about seven years so far Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It must have been great when you first got here and we're like mm-hmm. setting things up. Although I do imagine that for me, at least I would be like, oh, now I'm home and I want to make something and I don't have my stuff or whatever. I don't know if you ever felt like that. Well, I work a lot. I'm a, a bit of a workaholic. <laughs> so I do come here and I spend most of the day here. And then by the time I leave, it's like nice to have family time to go home and just like sit and chill and watch some TV or movies and you know so but yeah I'm here pretty much almost every day of the week if I'm not if we're not doing an event or traveling or doing something for fun right so yeah yeah. so I get a lot of work you get (laughs) you get all your time in yeah absolutely so um we mentioned in the in the intro that you um studied at the Maryland Institute College of Art did you grow up in Maryland or where did you grow up no I grew up um in Somerville Massachusetts actually in Davis Square. So I grew up in the house that my mom grew up in, actually. Oh. So my parents have, are from Somerville originally. And 
Um, while they now live in Maine, uh, I stayed around here. So I met my husband at Micah in Baltimore, and we moved back up to New England because we just he really loves it here, and we just. We just really love it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, um, and were you always crafty or artistic as a child? I, I have to imagine you were. What were you? Oh, yeah. What did you enjoy doing when you were in little? Oh, my goodness. Like, everything. I was, so my quote-unquote job when I was a child was to draw the characters in, like, the Nintendo booklets, but make them really big. Okay. So, like, yep. I, so people could do coloring pages, but, like, big poster size. So it was like, if it was like, oh, that little picture of Mario in the little booklet, can you make me a poster of that? And I would draw the line art of that character. And And these are for friends? Friends, my brothers, you know, like our neighborhood had so many kids growing up in too. So it was like, I was always the one that drew the birthday card or like, I was always making things, making little dinosaur dioramas and, you know, just anything crafty. If there was a school project where you could substitute a craft. Right. Or art for an essay. Right. I was always doing the craft. Yeah. <laughs> Any excuse to make something. Yeah. And yeah. what did your parents do for work? So my dad was a um, programmer for Harvard. So okay. um, he was in the development office at Harvard over mm-hmm. there. Shout out to any Harvard people who knew my dad. Um, and uh, he, yeah, so he was working at Harvard University. And then my mom raised us. Of course, there were four kids. So I was the youngest of four. Um, and she raised us in like of course did all these great things like when we had birthday parties we made all of our own pinatas and decorations and all that stuff which is great and she really encouraged that and she sewed all of her own clothes growing up and her wedding dress and everything so she was quite crafty um but then once we all kind of went into school she then became a software tester so okay. so my dad's a programmer she was a software tester right. and that was her career like later in life but she you know had a great career doing that which is really cool and um, did you know you wanted to be an artist? Like you, I mean, it sounds like oh, you yeah. you applied to art school, and that was what you were going to be. And were they supportive? Because some people's parents, when you're like, "I'm going to be an artist and go to art school," they're like, "Oh gosh, you know, like how are you ever going to make enough money?" It's so true. Uh, I, I it breaks my heart when I hear people say that their parents didn't, you know, allow them to do that or discourage them heavily from doing stuff like that. My parents were very encouraging. I was very fortunate to have parents that encouraged all of us to do pursue the things that we were all into, um, which I, uh, looking back, I really appreciate that they uh, encourage those things. Uh, and so when I was five, I wanted to be a Disney animator. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to like, this is a job, like, holding, like, the VHS of Little Mermaid, and I was like, I could do this, or actually Little Mermaid wasn't out then, but whatever, like, Fantasia or something, and I was like, this is my job, this is what I'm going to do, um, and so uh, I always knew that was what I, art mm-hmm. was something I wanted, and uh, yeah, my mom definitely, like, her parents definitely encouraged encouraged that. Yeah. And so did you, what did you study at um, Micah, was it... Um illustration was it textiles because you do a lot in textiles now or was it something completely different from that well I studied graphic design and so this is it's quite funny because my mom tried to teach me to sew when I was a kid and I was having none of it and I was like I will never need to learn this this is not a skill I will ever use no I do not want to follow directions and make a dress for whatever, you know, it's like, and so she laughs at me because this is what I do full time now. Um, But I went to school for graphic design because in high school, I had the opportunity to do an internship. And I got connected with um, the design firm in Watertown, Massachusetts, uh, who's, they're not around anymore, but they were called Big Blue Dot. And they, um, so as a 17 year old, I went and did an internship at this graphic design firm. And they created the original Nickelodeon logo like so our clients were like Disney Cartoon Network like it was all designed for kids specifically Mm. so I was like well this is what I exactly what I want to do it's not a Disney animator but it's like very close and I really loved um design and designing like logos and packages and Mm. layout and so when I went to Micah I that was my major is graphic design and I targeted like every portfolio piece was designed for kids like mm-hmm. if they were like design an invitation I made it like a kids event or like an annual report it was for a children's museum like so right yeah so like when I graduated I had a specific kids portfolio but when I was doing all this stuff like 
my typography teacher was like nicknamed me hand skills because I was always building something hmm. like or like making if a project was to do a book, I would actually physically make the book when you didn't have to. Right. Because graphic was, design and probably by the time you went to college, too, it, it was mostly on the computer. Oh, yeah. It was all, all, on computer. all on the computer. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So. So like Illustrator, Photoshop. I learned that at my internship and then. Right. Yeah. So I freelanced for Big Blue Dot every summer when I came home, too. Mm. So I was kind of like already on that path. Mm. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, so during school, I would always be making stuff whenever I could, like prototypes or like build some weird thing. And it's like, oh, this is a pop-up book. And it's like, well, because <laughs> I wanted to, to make it. I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm going to build the package, you know, like th- those are the things that like brought me the most joy. And, um, my mentor at the time, like my, the head of the department, um, Ellen Lepton, who's amazing. She like curates the Smithsonian National Design Museum. She's fantastic. Uh, huge figure and an author of tons of graphic design books. Um, she suggested to me that I enroll in a sewing class hmm. in college. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> so, you know, again, I was the second person to be like, I think you should be sewing. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, no, no. So I didn't do that. And then graduated got a job at the Boston Children's Museum and which must have been a dream job because given what the portfolio you were and you came back up here I mean the Boston Children's Museum would be like the premier place to apply it was great um and so so when I graduated in 2001 that was one of the crashes right so it was like the job market wasn't that great and so when I came back when I moved back from school Big Blue Dot didn't have a full-time opening yet but I was still freelancing there. So I supplemented by working at the Children's Museum. So I was doing both mm. um, until Big Blue Dot had a full time. So I was like, that was still my target. Right. And so I got connected through one of the people there to like apply to the Children's Museum, got a job there and then worked both for a few years. OK. And then worked at Big Blue Dot and then eventually became creative director uh, of that studio. That's amazing. So, so you started yeah. as an intern and then became creative director over the course of, of several summers several and then years. Yeah. yeah, it was like 10 years, yeah. 11 years. Yeah. yeah, so what were some um, of the memorable projects that you worked on throughout that period? Because it sounds like they oh had some goodness. pretty impressive clients. Yeah, so what, working on... Um, I don't know if that's going to show up on there. There's a truck okay. rolling by. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so some of the the memorable projects was like um, PBS had this kids show, Dragon Tales. Oh, yeah. And um, sure. we did their whole website. So um, as a intern or freelancer, I think at that point, uh, I designed a couple of the games online and like had teams of people working on those. We did work for... Um, Let's see, National Geographic Packaging, um, Viz Media, I created their logo, their huge um, publishing for anime, and the show Naruto, um, the anime, if you've heard of that. So uh, I was in charge of that whole style guide and had a whole team of people working on that. That was probably my favorite project was doing all of the package design for that and like designing sweatshirts and shoes and bags and pattern making and stuff. Yeah, very cool. So I'm interested once we start talking about what you're doing now how some of those skills and experiences mm. transferred over because I imagine that they certainly must have. Um, yeah. So, so, but let's first talk about the intermediary steps. So, <laughs> so it sounds like you always enjoyed building things. And while this stuff is super cool, it is mm-hmm. very computer focused. And so were you mm-hmm. like tr- finally sort of interested in sewing or how did you sort of transition into making things by hand? Yeah, so my, my husband uh, like used to send me these little uh, stupid little drawings that were just this fat little bird that would fly in on a string like because he like couldn't fly and that was just like his like hi how are you you know little message like was always just had this little fat bird like attached to it and so for his birthday one year I was like well I'm gonna make a little fat bird for him like that'll be really cute I'll right. make it real you right know? right right and so that was like my first I mean I made like a plush toy with my mom when I was a kid when she tried to teach me how to sew and I didn't love it but this was like the first one that I was like did on my own. And because of the background in package design and making things from flat to 3d, mm-hmm. I 
was like, oh, I know how to draft a pattern and or like right. figure love, out what the shapes. I are. love that the first one you made wasn't yeah. was something you also designed. And yeah, I, I feel like that's the case with so many <laughs> designers. They're just like, why would I start with something I could you know follow the directions? Oh no, and make? Yeah. I'll just I, I understand how to do this. I'll just I'll just make it up from the beginning. Yeah, and I think what I didn't like about sewing or like when I was getting taught was like there is already somebody's already told me the steps, mm-hmm. and I'm like, where's the fun in that? Mm-hmm. I'm making the same thing that is on the front of the package. I want to make my own thing. Right. Right. And so when I did that, and of course he loved it, and our friends were like, oh my God, can I get a fat bird? Like, can can you make one for my birthday? Was this and before so, Angry Birds, by the way? Oh, yeah. Okay. It was, like these, yeah. It was before, um, what's the big one? Squishimals or the oh, round yeah. one? It was before that. So all of my designs were just these round things with faces. Like, it mm-hmm. was round animals with faces. Mm-hmm. So basically very similar to, mm-hmm. like, Squishimals. Yeah. Um, and so then I was like, well... Uh, you don't like birds, you like moose. So let me make a round thing with antlers and that's a moose, you know, for your birthday. It was just became like the gift that everybody got for like a couple years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Etsy started and friends were like, you yeah. should put your things right. on Etsy. And I was like, okay, whatever. You know, I don't have a ton of time, but I'll throw some up. And then it kind of like, I remember the first listing I put on Etsy was like, I put a penguin up there. Mm-hmm. And it was gone, and I thought it was a glitch. Like, <laughs> do you know? So, like, I posted it and went to look at it in my shop, mm-hmm. and it wasn't there. And so I was like, "Oh, there's an error." And I, I don't know if I actually wrote an email to the site where I was drafting it to be like, "There's a bug on your website," because Etsy was brand new. Yeah. It was like 2005. 2005. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, "I think there's a bug on your website," and I got that email that was like, "You made a sale." And I was like, "Wait, oh. what? Yeah. Like, how did that happen? Yeah. Back when you could." discovered on the front page um and so then I was like oh I sold it already now I have to package it up and ship it and oh how exciting is this somebody who I don't even know bought my thing I made so then I just like all my spare time went into and back then I was sewing literally by hand I didn't have a sewing machine oh wow so that whole that whole bird was sold was sewed with it yeah Yeah. okay Yeah. yeah All so, right. So that was the beginning. And, and you know, I think it's hard to, to get back into the mindset of 2005. But mm-hmm. if you can remember, it was actually difficult to sell things online in 2005. It was hard to, you know, you would have to code your own site. Yeah. You know, people didn't necessarily trust putting their credit card online back then. Um, it was a very different mm-hmm. world. And so at that moment, Etsy really made a huge difference because it meant that regular people who didn't have all that background could sell something in a sort of reliable, easy way. Mm-hmm. And it meant people like me, I mean, I could code a website because that was part of some part of my job was doing web web stuff too. I could have made one, but it wouldn't have occurred to me to sell them mm-hmm. until I, there was like this cool new Oh, right. So it also sort of encouraged you like, yeah. to, to make it into a business because right. you, it was just offering that to you, like serving it up like here. Yeah. It served it up on a platter. And right. It was just like, oh, easy. I'll click upload and done. Right. Just for fun. Right. You know? Okay. All right. So I can see yeah. like the magic of it, the excitement of it was mm-hmm. pretty immediate. Because I had a job I loved. I wasn't looking right. to do this. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I can relate to that too because I also had a job I loved yeah. um, and then left So um, and, and started doing this too. So, so how did you get to that point where you're like, well, I could probably earn a, a full-time equivalent income if I do leave and I do want to leave. Mm. I want to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor, Craftsy. And here is a message from Craftsy. At Craftsy, we know making. Whether you are new to the handmade life or looking to advance your skills, we have classes for all maker levels and interests. From knitting and sewing to quilting and embroidery, cooking, baking, paper crafts, and more, Craftsy's instructors guide and encourage you, empowering you to turn ideas into realities. And they have an exclusive offer for Craft Industry Alliance podcast listeners. Right now, you can get a whole year of their premium membership for only $1.49. So visit CraftsyOffers.com to sign up, and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. For only $1.49, you'll get a full year of access to over 2,000 premium full-length classes. It can be challenging to know where to go to learn new things, especially when you're an absolute beginner. 
Craftsy's instructors help build strong foundations as they teach, setting you up for success and helping you fix mistakes as you go. Their enthusiasm and strong teaching style make learning accessible to all. If you are an experienced maker and looking for new challenges and fresh projects, Craftsy is for you too. From perfecting your fondant skills to tackling complex stitches, from eye-catching garden design to next steps in sourdough, Craftsy has advanced classes in all crafts from instructors who are experts in their field. With over 2,000 classes, including downloadable patterns and recipes, Craftsy has a class and a craft for everyone. So visit CraftsyOffers.com today and get a year of Craftsy Premium Membership for just $1.49. Start turning ideas into projects you can be proud of. Get this exclusive offer at CraftsyOffers.com. Thank you so much. And now back to my conversation with Jen. I have a, a very rare and weird story about how that happened. Because um, I was not interested in making this a full-time job. Um, and so, uh, so because I have a background in design and like websites and coding, and I have parents who are software testers and programmers, I kind of have that weird mix of like knowing how to communicate with people who are designing software and also knowing about the creative side and what website design should look like. And so when Etsy was starting and you were in the forums and there were like 5,000 users, the people who created the website were active in the forums, right? So, you know, um, and so I got to know the founders because I was in the forums being like, oh, hey, maybe you want to do something like this or making suggestions or giving feedback. Um, And I guess speaking in a language that was um, kind of clear that I knew what I was talking about. So uh, in my messages to them or emails are like, oh, hey, I found a bug or doing Mm -hmm. this and that. And so I became friends with them. And then one of our clients uh, at Big Blue Dot was MoMA. And Mm -hmm. so we did their branding for their kids, um, kids brand uh, back in 2000. Some seven or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I was down in New York quite a bit for diff- various clients. And so I would go out to dinner with these guys, mm-hmm. like be like, hey, let's meet up. And so and just, was this Rob? Or? Yeah, Rob. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew um, the other guys, too, mm-hmm. just from online. And I yeah. would hang out with them sometimes. But like Rob and I became friends, mm-hmm. you know, this and is Rob Kalen, who was Rob the founder. Of Etsy, yeah. So just for people right. who are <laughs> like, who is that? Yeah. so we just became like legitimate friends. And then um, I like I became the head of the Boston street team without mm-hmm. being asked. Like they were just like, you're in Boston, you're part of our street team. So I started doing markets in SOA mm-hmm. like, and it's because Etsy would pay for the booth and I would share it with like uh, four different artists. And we would just talk about Etsy because back then people didn't know what it was. Right. Oh, and I so, remember those days. And, yeah. And, and so explain what SOA is. Uh, SOA is the market. It's a weekly market in Boston and um, it's in the South end and it's every Sunday from May to October. And it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and it's great. And back then SOA was new mm-hmm. as well. And so Etsy was new and SOA was new. And Etsy had these street teams. And yeah. so they would basically, they would they would pay for the booth. Yes. And then you would come and, and try to help spread the word yeah. about Etsy while also selling your items in person. Right. And so when it started, they would just be like, oh, who do we know in whatever town? And we'll send them Etsy promo stuff. And they will set up a booth for us and get the word out. Right. And so I had like buttons and stickers and things that we would hand out. And back then <laughs> you wanted to right. do that. <laughs> and people were like, what's Etsy? And you felt like you're yeah. part of something. And you're like this cool, um, like new thing that nobody knows about yet. Yeah. And, and like, because they were my friends, I was like, yeah, I'm going to talk about this. Absolutely. This is great. Right. Um, yeah. And I was selling stuff. I couldn't keep things in stock. So right. I was like, this is just a fun thing to do on weekends. Um, and then Etsy kind of like blew up. Mm-hmm. And so my people who I was becoming friends with, like I, so we used to go to dinner or whatever when I was in New York and I would stay at the Etsy offices. They were like, come hang out and like stay here. And we would just hang out. And then one time Rob was like, here, I'm drawing you a map of like where we're going today and meet me here. And it was like directions on how to get somewhere. So I got on a bus, went down to this random place. There's like 
in New York, it's an area called Red Hook, where there's all these like shipping containers and warehouses and beautiful, uh, the view of the Statue of Liberty is right down there. And I showed up there and he's on the top of this warehouse building and he's like, come up here. And I was like, what? And so I went up and he's like, this is your new studio space. He's like, all you have to do is quit your job and move to New York. And Why did he do that for you? I think because, um, so at the time when I was like, helping them out like we would be emailing late you know like helping them with like showing designs and giving feedback um i wrote there was a the, when the treasury came out remember the treasury yeah i wrote the demo mm-hmm. on how to use that because when it launched people in the forums were pretty mad mm-hmm. and they were like why are you working on this when you could be working on bugs and mm-hmm. other fixes that explain we what the treasury was so the treasury was this area on the homepage of Etsy where it would showcase a gallery of featured items. And, and anyone could make one. Anyone could make one. So it was almost like, in a way, think Pinterest. Yes, before Pinterest. Before Pinterest. <laughs> but you would go through and you would you would say, I love, like, you know, winter white. And you yes. would pick winter white items yeah. from all different categories. I don't remember how many tiles there were, but it was, it was like 12, 12 or something yeah. like that. And you would make the, you know, make this beautiful mm-hmm. thing. And then they would select one and that would be the front page of Etsy. Yeah. This is before the sort of dynamic where whatever mm-hmm. you've been looking for is now what you see on the front page, right. which now for whatever reason people have determined is better for increasing people's shopping behaviors. But yeah. back then it was really curated by users. And it was more community building focused than like I mean it made you feel good. You made a treasury and you curated this gallery of cool items and mm-hmm. they promoted it to the front page and right. you're like you're like oh, my treasury oh, you is on the front so page. So you coded you so, I made the user guide for that. The user just, guide. Just okay. in my spare time. Like, right. At, after, like, my work was done, I was like, why is everybody mad at this? Like, I went on the forums. And You're I was like, like, this is they, cool. This is cool. They just don't know how to use it or what the cool part about it is. So, so you showed I, them. So I wrote this whole blog that was like, These, this is why it's cool. Here's why you should like it. And here's how you use it. And I just wrote up a user guide. Like, I do, did style guides. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and I sent it to Jared and Robin was like, hey, I did this thing. It might be helpful. If you want to use it, feel free to send it out. Mm-hmm. You know, and so they were like, oh, my God, thank you so much. And they were so overworked. Yeah, they were just like, oh, my God, this is like, I'm crying right now. This is like, so right. cool that you did this. And so they linked like back then my shop name was Sweetest P before Zugu. And they right. linked at the bottom of every treasury it had my shop name oh, on it because wow. they said treasury. Um, like blog post by Sweetest P mm-hmm. or like how to use it user guide or mm-hmm. something. And so my little shop link was on the bottom of every single right. treasury, which wow. was like a huge thank you. But yeah. it was like, I was doing stuff like that with them where I was like, oh, maybe from a user point of view, this is how this could be run better. Or mm-hmm. why would you do, you know, just giving suggestions and that. And so um, Robert ended up inviting like 12 people to share this big studio space. I see. So it was I wasn't the only one. It was almost was, like you were part of their team, yeah, basically, but on like, a volunteer basis. And so he wanted to sort of have a way to thank yeah. you and appreciate you. Or just and, and he was like trying to come up with this new opportunity. Like, what if we build this little business incubator? And like, who right. who do I think could make this work? You know, and so but so this was like something he did with his own funds separate from Etsy. Funds. I see. You know what I mean? So yeah, it wasn't, he funded it. He happened to be the founder of Etsy, but this was like a side mm-hmm. thing. So it wasn't officially Etsy sponsored, but it was like this, how do what these crafters who are at this small stage get to be a bigger thing mm-hmm. or make it full time? Mm-hmm. And like, if I provide studio space and a kind of business incubator and like this creative co-op place where people can like learn and grow from each other. So we had a wood shop in there. We had fashion designers. We had... Um, uh, let's, what else was it? Yeah, Woodshop Fashion uh, Music. There was a DJ that did stuff there. Um, I was there making toys. Um, I'm sure there were some, yeah, there were 12 of us doing all different things. Right, um, okay. And so we just, uh, my husband and I moved to New York for two years, treating it like a graduate school we didn't have to pay tuition for. Mm-hmm. So we rented an apartment down the street from there and then went to the studio space every day and built Zugu. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, if this doesn't work in two years, I can always go back to graphic design. Right. And so, but we ended up moving back and 
doing markets and making our full-time living from that. And you changed the name from Sweetest Pea, I remember when mm-hmm. you did this. So what was the reason to change the name from Sweetest Pea to Zugu? So part of the business incubator thing, I made an LLC mm-hmm. for my company. So, um, and Sweetest, there was something called like Sweet Pea Creations in New York or something like mm-hmm. that. And so my application got denied for an LLC with mm. that name mm. in New York City. Mm-hmm. And so I had to come up with something new. And so Zugu came about by, it was our last name was Gubitsa. Right. And so it's like our zoo, so Zugu. Mm-hmm. And that was a URL that was not taken. It was a nonsense word that nobody owned. Mm-hmm. It was something unique. It was like cute to say. And yeah. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> And so at that time, I mean, I feel like now when I visit you at fairs, you are primarily selling taxidermy, mm-hmm. faux taxidermy. Yeah. Um, but at that time, that's not what you were making. No. You were making stuffed animals. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of describe what they look like. You had the sort of round ball that became an animal. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and there were a lot of different ones. I remember a yeah. whale. There was like a whole lot different of them. Yeah. Um, and, and were you sewing them from fleece? What were you sewing them from? And sort of how did you um, sort of transition from that to the taxidermy? So I use a material called uh, suede cloth, which is just a polyester material, but it's a non-stretch. So it... Um, I really enjoy it because I like designing exact shapes and don't like anything to stretch out of place. Mm. And so using this non-stretch, it has a really soft feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's primarily what I use. Uh, and the two set when the two sides go together, you don't have to pin it because it kind of grips itself. Mm. So for me, so the underside of it yeah. is that suede like, feeling. Yeah, that suede. Okay, so, so it sort of grips. People can imagine that. Yeah. 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 And so. Um, I, yeah, so I was making all these little toys that were round balls with little faces on them. And then um, there was, like, a few people that were making little taxidermy things. And I had seen the Dr. Seuss ones. Have you seen those? There were, know. like, ones that were made well before I was born. Mm-hmm. But, like, he had made these sculptures of oh, his yeah. creatures. Yeah. Like, really fantastic stuff. Mm-hmm. And we had seen a bunch of those on a trip to Disney World. They had a gallery in the in the Disney gallery. And there were all these Dr. Seuss things. I was like, oh, my God. I mm-hmm. want to want to do something like that you know and then I had a friend who asked me if I could make one of my things into a taxidermy thing Mm -hmm. and I was like yeah I'll give it a shot I've been wanting to do it and I haven't had an excuse to do it so let me try that and then that quickly became the thing Mm -hmm. that everybody wanted like I brought a few to SOA to the shows and people were like oh my god I need it and they were selling out why do you think that is like what do you think it is that when people see faux taxidermy and I should say I bought a dragon from you mm. for my youngest daughter I told her I was coming to visit you today and she mm-hmm. said tell her I love it <laughs> and oh, I said okay well I'll pass that along yes so and then it's hanging in her room but um why is it that people love them so much like what is mm. it about taxidermy in in particular well I think One of the things for me is that when I do shows, like I do comic conventions and anime shows and video game shows, as well as craft fairs. Mm -hmm. So I kind of do, we fit in like these, these worlds of craft and geek. Yeah, I saw you at a steampunk show. Yeah, exactly. And so um, we kind of do those kind of geek shows where a lot of adults buy cute stuff for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I think... For me, I had a lot of, when I was doing toys, I would have those adults buy my toys for themselves. But there's like a little bit of, you get granted permission when it's art Mm -hmm. to put it on your wall to buy the cute thing. Right. You're like, oh, okay, I could buy this squid taxidermy and hang it in my living room. Right. And like the word toy has that kid connotation where people feel like, am I allowed to buy a toy for myself? I would get a lot of And you're like, what am I going to do with it? Right. What am I going to do with it? Is it going to sit over there? But when it's a taxidermy and it's a piece of art that gets displayed on the wall like families would buy one for every kid or like Mm -hmm. something for their living room and have like a cool family room or I have one person who bought like 21 different ones for their beach house and just lined a room with 21 different things yeah and like I had one guy who made a whole zoom background of giant tentacles like Mm. and so he just ordered tentacles of all different shapes at like all different sizes and I sent him a wall of tentacles just to be have a fun zoom background for work Mm -hmm. you know um and so I feel like it gets into that um it's a little bit it's straddles that creepy cute thing because Mm -hmm. it's 
taxidermy and people are like, oh, that's really funny. Like it has the humor. Right, because it's unexpected. It's right? unexpected. Taxidermy, yeah. you're expecting to see a deer with antlers. Mm-hmm. That's the classic taxidermy. And then right. you come in and it's like, you know, a mythical creature or right. it's a like. A uh, Right. Or, yeah. yeah. It's just something that can't be taxidermied. Right. Right. And so the fact that it opened up every room in the house as a place to put oh, something right instead of just a kid's room or giving it to a so child. wide in the market wide in the market and it became like people put them in their offices you know so there's like a right that live in offices office spaces where like a toy would never have that reach right you know? but it's like it's if you you could have this moose and it mm-hmm. would just be like a conversation starter and you could yeah. send it to a lawyer right yeah yeah and so it's like so i have and then some people have bought um like their office neighbors get in on it. And so I've done this a couple times where somebody had one a head on one side and then their office mate really liked it and ordered the back half of the animal for like <laughs> for their side. Awesome. It's happened a few times where I've done the the back half of an animal as a custom order for somebody who shared an uh, like who was on the other side of the wall from somebody else. And it just it's right. it so just funny. makes people laugh. Yeah, it makes people laugh. And when you're at a show it, if you can be funny, like have some humor, I think that goes a long way because people want to come over and talk to you and be like, what mm-hmm. is that about? Like, oh, my goodness, I've never seen anything like this. This is really funny or a great gift or like and it also is sweet. Like my designs are I can't make something scary if I tried like they're all cute. And even so, like the shark, even like the <laughs> shark is like yeah. really cute. And so people put them in baby rooms yeah. and they're like. I want this for my baby, but then the, the next person will buy, like, a wall of tentacles for their Zoom. Right. Like, there's not a, I don't know, this magic, this this magic product that, like, I know you can't hit every age, but I feel like I've sold to baby, mm-hmm. to grandma, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I feel like it just depends on your sense of humor versus your age range. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, so that's a, a really great sort of tip for people because finding that product market fit is such a huge aspect of being able to succeed at handmade and you don't really sell patterns it seems like a Mm. lot of people myself included Mm -hmm. who you know started selling started designing stuffed animals Mm -hmm. um decided at some point that it's easier to make money mm-hmm. selling digital files of the directions to sell the stuffed animals and is to sell the stuffed animals themselves. Yeah. And I, you know, refocused my entire business that way and removed all handmade from, you mm-hmm. know, actual handmade from my from my shop. And you didn't do that. I mean, you've made patterns and you've yeah. sold patterns, mm-hmm. but really that's not the, the bread and butter, I don't think. No, and I had done – I've – made a few patterns um and so i was selling those on etsy as a downloadable pdf for the toys but i never made it for the taxidermy and because i don't know for me like i had this grand plan that this was that was going to be the direction for my business um and i we talked about it years ago um and i i didn't go that direction um and i don't know i feel like for me making a pattern like I have high standards for how my my pattern design looks like and like the photography and step by step and the design of the pattern and it's a lot of hours to put in to you know to write and photograph and yeah do all of that step by step and at the time I was like this is how we're making our living investing a whole week worth of time for one pattern is just not feasible right now. Like I'm making these things, there's a demand for what I'm making. And so I have to keep up with the demand. And so that was where my business was focused was because people are requesting these, they're buying them mm-hmm. I, and I'm just making things and it's going well, Right. <laughs> you know, like, so I never, I, I taught a couple classes at mm-hmm. gather here in Cambridge. Yeah. Um, and so that was really fun. And so I had to kind of, and I've, I've clearly designed all of my own patterns, mm-hmm. and so I have the files. I don't know. Maybe if I, if I get some more time, if people are interested, I could mm-hmm. make patterns available. But yeah, I just, I don't know. I lost interest in in doing that, mm-hmm. in pursuing it. And the the so in order to make a taxidermy, you have this other material, which is the back, the mm-hmm. backing, right? So mm-hmm. you've got 
uh, stuffed animal head or yeah. or rear end, depending, right. um, yep. and it's or tentacle, and it's and it's affixed to this sort of backing that then mm-hmm. gets hung on the wall. Mm-hmm. So was there some like woodworking and figuring out how to affix it so that it would be smooth and would yeah. be permanent and yeah. stuff like that that was involved in the learning curve here? There definitely was because it was a whole new thing. I was like, how am I going to attach this to this piece of wood? And I don't do my own woodworking. I buy wooden plaques that mm-hmm. are already cut. I mean, I sand them and paint them or stain them and do that. But um Figuring out the way to attach them was definitely a problem. And I tried multiple ways. Uh, and I'm, Well, you've done this too, right? So I've done you, a couple. Yeah. yeah. So did I you, have certainly not perfected it to the degree you have. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely took a long time yeah. to figure out the best way to do it. And my friend who commissioned the first narwhal, she has one that I am not happy with. Like sure. the original one, I, I'm like, this is terrible. Like, I can't believe... <laughs> That you accepted this as a thing. Um, and she's like, I will never... I was like, can you please give it to me so I can fix it right. and make it right? And she's like, nope, it's the first one. I'm not <laughs> letting you take it back. It's mine. And, you know, and I was like, oh, I can't believe I attached it that way. I'm like, I hope it doesn't fall down. Um, so, yeah, there's always a kind of product test yeah. um, that you have to go through before you can accept... For me, before I can accept money for something mm-hmm. and give it... Like, I want it to last. Mm-hmm. Like, my quality is very important. Yeah. And so I don't put something out for sale until it's been tested and I'm happy with it. Yeah. And so then this kind of brings us full circle back to some of the things that you Mm -hmm. learned when you were at Blue Dot Mm -hmm. and maybe at the Children's Museum as well um, around packaging design, logo design, Mm -hmm. um, you know, designing merchandise, et cetera that probably comes into this business. So are there some mm-hmm. things that you can identify? You're like, oh, that was helpful to me because now I do it this way and I wouldn't have known. Oh, yeah. I mean, all of the logo, anytime I do anything creative for my business, if that's designing a business card or a sticker sheet or any printed material, like print collateral, like when we do our um, retail shop at the holidays, uh, Little Shop of Cute with a few friends, I design all those materials with the brochures and things to hand out my design background comes in handy for laying out type and and image and I mean choosing color uh just the design sense of how I can um but just my aesthetics of what shapes look good and keeping everything uh looking like it's from a consistent brand right um, like all of my characters feel like they live in the same world. Yes. You know, and so that to me is very important that somebody can look at something and be like, that's a Zugu. Right. You know, as opposed to Because there are other else. people who make Photox Derm. Yeah. Plenty of people. Oh, yeah. And I'm friends with like probably all of them. You know, we all know each other. Sure. And collect each other's things. Um, and so, but it's, I like when you can identify an artist's style and pick it out mm-hmm. and be like, oh, that's that. You know, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So you started doing this these craft fairs as part of the Etsy mm-hmm. street team, mm-hmm. but in the last many years, you do a lot of craft fairs. You have a very full schedule. Mm. Um, I've seen you at many of them, and there's many, many more that I haven't been to that you've gone to. So mm. um, I'm assuming that you've developed some strategies for. I don't know, everything from packing the car or the truck, getting there, unpacking efficiently, setting up well, Mm -hmm. um, interacting with customers, including people who say all kinds of off-the-wall things to you while they're there. I've heard of Um, that. Yeah, you know, (laughs) figuring out how to, yeah, how to maximize the the sales of the day so Mm -hmm. that it's worthwhile, figuring out even what craft fair to go to because some of them, they're Mm -hmm. not all equal. Um, mm-hmm. Some are much better than others. So, uh, you know, let, let's go there and talk about sort of the science of craft fairs, I guess. Oh, my goodness. This could be a five-hour podcast. Right. There's yeah. so much. I mean, I've got, what, 15 years of experience? Yeah. 18 years of experience doing yeah. them now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what do you want to know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> if I were brand new, which I, oh. I haven't done one really in many years, what, what are some mm. things that you would advise for people who are getting started in this world? Um. I would say it's very important to really want to be there. Yeah. Um, and I don't, you know, <laughs> that's, a, that's sounds, a good place to start. It's though. a good you're place right. to start because if you're at a show that you actually don't want to be at, you're not going to do well. 
Like, and it so shows to it shows, everyone. It shows to everyone. If you're unhappy doing shows, I would advise you not to do them. Like, if you try one out and you're like, I hated that and I'm tired and I don't like talking to people and I don't like setting up and this is, I am not looking forward to the next one, do not do it. Like, that's my big advice yeah. is like, don't, don't push it. It's if actually that's not your strength. Right. It's similar to the idea of like, you need to actually really love your customers. Yeah, when you do. really love the people who are mm-hmm. patronizing your business, it shows. Yeah. And when you resent them and you're angry at them mm-hmm. and you're frustrated by them, it shows as well. Yeah. And I mean, over the years, we've made some of our good friends we met because they bought our stuff at a craft fair Mm -hmm. like and we genuinely like I've seen their kids grow up like Mm -hmm. they bought their first toy for their baby from me and now that kid's going to college Mm -hmm. you know it's like so this is like what we've we have a community of our own people and like when COVID hit those people came and supported us Mm -hmm. like because we're not just we we're more than like a small business we are people who know and connect with the people who love our work. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is one of the most important things about doing craft fairs is like genuinely being happy to be there Mm -hmm. and having an attitude of like, I'm going to make the best of this. And yeah, there's some terrible things. Weather is awful. Mm -hmm. Like you can't predict the weather. And so you could have a rainy day. And like we just did Beverly Arts Fest and it was rainy and people came out and supported mm-hmm. the show. Like I, we did way better than I ever expected because those people that come to support you are giving you back what you put in, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so there are things that you learn over time, like what is a fast setup? Like, you know, you need to have mm-hmm. your booth set up sometimes in 45 minutes right. before a show. You don't know how much time you're going to get. Sometimes you get hours and sometimes you don't. Mm-hmm. And so kind of like designing your booth around different scenarios, like having a flexible booth is okay. very important. Mm-hmm. I would think because sometimes you're on a corner, sometimes you're in a row, you know, sometimes you have your booth is a place where people can walk through the middle, you know, so mm-hmm. having a flexible setup, I think is also very important. Um, and being kind to the people who are organizing it is another big tip um because if you have a bad day like i've seen some vendors who've had a bad sales day and then been very rude to organizers and it's like well you're not gonna get invited back and like everybody wants you to do well right (laughs) it's not as though the organizer of the event wanted the vendors to do poorly no no and they want it to all go well because they want to do it again right right and so um so I would just say, like, be kind to whoever your next door neighbor is um, and just genuinely have a good time and enjoy talking about your work. Um, mm-hmm. Have some standard answers to what, how did you get into this? Um, why did you decide to make this? How do you make this? How long does this take? Like, have answers to those things. And I, I hear often people get very angry and frustrated when people come up to the booth they pick the thing up and look mm-hmm. at it and then say to their friend, we should make this. Mm. And then they walk away. And yeah. I don't know how you handle that feeling. That is, that can be frustrating. And I feel like some of these things, I used to get angrier at them. Like, and I think this is me being like, oh, I'm a grown up in this business now. <laughs> like, I'm not the young kid who was like mad at everything, you know, mm-hmm. Um And I used to get more frustrated with stuff like that. Like, really, this is my job. I designed this. You can't make that. Like, internally, I wouldn't say that. Mm -hmm. But, like, you vent about it with friends at the end of the day. And you're like, everybody was like, oh, I can make that. Um, And my response now is like, oh, yeah, do you want to learn more about the process? Like, like, let me tell you about how I make them. Mm -hmm. And and then you can see that there there is more to the process. And if if you actually want to go home and make one, Good for you. Yeah. Like. That's how I feel. That's great. Like, you're not. The more crafters, the better. The more crafters, the better. You're not going to put me out of business. And if you make one, it's not going to look like what I'm making. You're going to make it differently. And like, I think also when I sold some patterns before and I had that fear of like, oh my goodness, if everybody's making what I'm making, is that going to put me out of business? Like, am I not going to be able to sell a toy anymore? 
That's not the case. You know, they just want to make something and have a fun time doing it and learn a new skill. And the difference is, as we were talking about your first bird that you made, and I was saying like you uh, went about that by designing it mm, from scratch, even mm -hmm. though you'd never made one um, and really hadn't done much sewing at all. Just decided that that's the way you you wanted to approach it, yeah. Um, and that you didn't one of the you know one of your frustrations with learning to sew was that someone had given you all the instructions already. Mm -hmm. um, and and there's a, a mindset among most people which is I want to make the exact one yeah. that's on the pattern cover. So if that's in a blue polka dot, where do I get that exact blue polka dot? So that mine comes out exactly like the one on the cover, which is a, a hundred percent different it's mindset. So different. It's so different, and it's and you're right, and it's hard to for me to, as somebody who didn't want to make the exact one on the cover to wrap my brain around why somebody would. Like right. I, I get but it. But that's the consumer but mindset. That's the consumer mindset, and so it it is a very different mindset. And I mean, one of the things that, about my business in Zugu is like when you get to. When you order something from me, you get to choose every color aspect about it. So like if you go online and order a narwhal, you can make it pink or purple or mm. green or whatever color you want. And I make them all custom. Every order that comes in mm. is custom made. And that's for me, that's like me as the creative person. I'm like, oh, I love that idea. People get to have fun choosing it. But I would say most people choose the exact colors in the photo. And I can tell when somebody's had a really fun time designing it. And I love the sets that are like really fun colors and, and that, but most often people choose the colors in the photo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, really by purchasing from you, mm. that in itself is a creative act for them. Mm. Mm -hmm. So by coming to the craft fair or yeah. going online, whether they design it or they just buy the one that is already designed, mm -hmm. just the the feeling when they're, you know, at their lunch break, at work, and they've bought this item, that feels creative. That is creative for yeah. them. That's the creative act. Right, right. And so, so if anybody wants to make what I'm making, like, have at it. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I think there's so much freedom in just letting that go yeah. and being like, yeah, sure, do what you want. I mean, I'm inspired by stuff I see out sure. there. Like, we you are inspired are. by Dr. Seuss. So. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so it's, so some of that, I think, comes with age and experience and being like, being not, able to let it go. Not in a scarcity mindset. Just not holding on so tight. Yeah, not holding on so tight. Yeah. And I think that is something that does come with time. Um, and all of those comments at craft fairs, like all of that just comes with time. The more you hear it, the right. more you have the answers for it. Yeah. And the more you respond with like generosity, the more that comes back to you. Mm -hmm. Like, because sometimes when I've just been chatting with, like, I like to go to shows and not, I'm not a sales person. I just like to have conversations with people and just be like, oh, hey, what have you, like, what have you seen at the craft fair that's good because I don't get out of the booth? Can you tell me what, like, and sometimes somebody's like, oh, I bought this cute little thing. And I'm like, oh, my God, I need to go over and buy that, too. Thank you. Um, but I just generally like connecting with people and mm -hmm. hearing about them. And then I end up selling things just yeah. because they came over to me because they liked what I had. We just had a great conversation. They picked out some things, had mm -hmm. some fun shopping and went and got some great gifts or things right. for their home and it's not I don't have a sales strategy my sales strategy I guess is to just meet people mm -hmm. and have good conversations that's great advice and and that's it I don't if people want to ask me questions about how they're made I will tell them everything that they want to know that they want to know right that's and, great and yeah. that's great <laughs> Um, and recently you've been exploring some new avenues, which I think is important because mm. you could easily sort of feel like, oh gosh, I've become a little factory worker and I don't necessarily want to just do this forever, even mm. though it's fun and interesting, but like it's important to continue to grow yeah. and explore new avenues, new things that are exciting to you while maintaining the current business. So you've been interested in some stop motion animation and some children's books, uh, writing children's mm -hmm. books, illustrating children's books. So talk a little bit about that new sort of chapter and what's drawing you in. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the through line through my whole like artistic career, if we want to talk about that now that it's been long enough, I feel <laughs> like I can say, um, but it's always been like playful mm -hmm. design and design for like 
the childlike spirit, whether that's for adults or kids. Mm -hmm. It's anybody who loves to play is really who I design for. Um, And so I've always loved children's books. I've always bought picture books. Like I never stopped buying them as a teenager or as a young adult. It's like picture books have always just been a great place for me to like discover artists and really learn. And like, I just love how there's such a great um, format for telling a story and like half of it is the writing and half of it is the picture and they work well together to tell a story. It's like a little movie in a, in 32 pages, you know? Um, and so that's always appealed to me. And so when COVID hit and all the craft shows were canceled. So like that was a huge arm of my business was craft yeah. shows. And so. Because you, you do wholesale too, yeah, by the I way. Do I just wholesale. wish mentioned that. But. Yeah. And so I sell to like five shops. It's not it's very It's a small many. wholesale but there's Yeah. The one shop in Seattle, Robot versus Sloth, sells uh, I don't know, they order like a hundred every six weeks or something. Oh, it's like wow. they so they're like my main mm-hmm. like so if you go to Seattle to Pike Place Market, you'll probably see my stuff. Um and so that there is a wholesale arm to this and then there's a craft show arm. But when COVID hit yeah. and all the craft shows were cancelled and I well, first of all, all I did was make masks. <laughs> Like, yep, as we all did. I, as we all did. Turned out it was a zombie uh, apocalypse. It turns we all out, needed to sew. It turns out we yeah. all needed to sew. So I made like 3,000 masks in Amazing. a couple months. It was like all I was doing here was sewing masks for everybody I could. And like then people, you know, and I had this little button on my website where like, because again, I was like, well, this is my job. I do need to get paid. I started off as volunteering, but then I'm like, the demand is so high. And I do need to survive this zombie apocalypse, too. Mm-hmm. So I listed them for sale. And I also had an option where you could buy masks to donate to healthcare workers and scrub caps. Also, I mm-hmm. got a pattern for scrub caps because nurses were contacting me from like Texas, New yeah. York, being like, I don't have anything to oh my protect God, this was such my a head. Crazy time. It was a crazy time. Um, and so I had nurses texting me be like, oh, my God, you're saving like people's lives. And I'm like, oh, oh my, I can't. I don't yeah. know. I'm getting like. I know. Yeah. Um, and so I just spent like 14 hours a day sewing massive yeah. caps for three months and got burnt out from it. Yeah. Because I was like, this is crazy. Um, but again, my customers all came and bought their masks from me. They all supported us. Yeah. And I, every mask that I sent to like healthcare workers and um, people in that industry, nobody paid for any of it. Mm-hmm. It was all sponsored by my customers or me. Everybody, all of those masks got paid and sent, which was amazing. Um, and so, and part of building a community. But um, the, so after that, I got burnt out on sewing. I didn't want to sew because yeah. I was like, I'm done. Yeah. Just, I need a break for yeah. a minute. And, um, then I was like, well, what, do, what am I doing now? <laughs> um, I can't go to craft shows. People are ordering online, ordering taxidermy. And I was like, okay. And a little bit of wholesale because shops were closing too. Right. So that was like two thirds of my business went away. And I only had the online shop. Yeah. And so I took some time and was like, well, what can I do now? And I... Um, took an online class like Lilla Rogers do you know her yeah yeah she's I mean, been on the show yeah. oh okay mm-hmm. yeah so we're we're friends and she back when I was at Big Blue Dot her agency they would send me postcards because I was a creative so like mm-hmm. I had known of her for a while and we had met through Mimi Kirchner years mm-hmm. ago also so, been on the show too yeah, yeah. so I, I knew about her classes and um and so I was like you know what I'm gonna take one of those there's a children's book class coming mm-hmm. I've always wanted to do children's books and let me learn what that's about yeah a perfect um, opportunity. Perfect opportunity to take a class and learn something new. Yeah. And so I enrolled in that class and I was like, well, I've always wanted to do this like stop motion diorama, like photographs of of like a whole diorama and use that as a picture book mm-hmm. storytelling medium. And so I took her class, uh, made like a 3D plush owl and mm-hmm. like posed it and did that for the class. And I was like this is this is it. This is great. I want to learn more about this. So then I enrolled in her whole year of art school because I was like, this is great. I can do this from the computer. I don't have to leave. Right. And I can stay in my studio and still make stuff and fulfill my orders. And I can also kind of do this another like like that where I moved to New York for two years to figure mm-hmm. out if I wanted to do toys and taxidermy full time. This is my other like 
I'm taking a couple of years to kind of do a graduate school of like, so I'm do it. I did classes with Lilla, and then I did enrolled in something called Storyteller Academy, which is all writing mm-hmm. and illustrating picture books too, or books for children. So it's like picture books through YA, and taking online classes there. And so that's now I split my time between Zugu and this learning and learning these new skills mm-hmm. and building up my portfolio and writing all of these stories and attending conferences I went to Italy to the Bologna Children's Book Fair (laughs) Um, and I have an international group of students or like or now we're getting into being professional illustrators and we have a critique group that meets every two weeks Mm -hmm. on zoom and we have a discord where we like um, we critique each other's work all the time and so yeah so that's where I'm hoping to add uh, books to the Zugu yeah. Um, so I'm not giving up Zugu. So, right. You know, no, no, like, of course. But I feel like it makes it allowed you to come back to it. Yeah. Yeah, it did. You Having know, that. Which that is break. hugely important because, you you know, it's it's almost like you feel panicked. Like, am I ever going to want to do this again? Mm-hmm. But but you do if you can find this other thing that you can bring in. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that definitely helped me uh, kind of restart my creativity. Yeah. And like you said, you always want to learn and grow and evolve and do different things. Like, yeah. I'm not a, a manufacturer. Right. I'm an artist and creative designer. Have people suggested to you, oh, you should get these manufactured, speaking of yeah. manufacturer. Yeah, yeah. The, I'm for sure. And it's not that like I've never, it's never occurred to me, you know. <laughs> um, but I... I don't know. I really, one of the things, like when I was a creative director, like when you get promoted higher up, you don't get to do the creative work anymore. You just manage people. You just manage people. And so for me, the thing that appealed to me about quitting the other job and starting this new one was like, I was actually making the thing. And that is what appealed to me. So I, in terms of growth, like I think I'm where I want to be. Like, yeah, if things are working out, we're paying our bills, we're, doing okay and I don't know do you follow Emily McDowell at yeah. all she's been doing a series on her Substack. Mm-hmm. have you read those about- I, I don't subscribe to her Substack. Oh, I need to yeah she she just started it I think well I, or I'm a new subscriber to her anyway mm-hmm. she's been writing these um kind of how her growth uh was too much too fast it was and um, so there's some really deep dives in there, which yeah. I think are great. And, and uh, she ended up selling her business because she, of that. Yeah. yeah. So there's some really great info in her sub and all of the things that she's talking about. I'm like, yes, I said no to that, that and that because and like this is evidence that while it looks like success, you're like one of the examples she gave was like if you're you're selling seven figures, but your take home is still 50 grand mm-hmm. after all of the expenses. Yeah. And you're, but you're working all, all the, the time. time. And so one of the things that I found when all of our craft shows were canceled was that I made a good amount of money just staying home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was like, enlightening to a lot of people. It was enlightening to a yeah. lot of people. Yeah. And so now that they're back, you're like, do I'm I actually doing, need to do every one? I'm yeah. only doing 12. That's it. 12 weekends. Whereas I used to do them almost every week and I would push myself to do to sew all of these things and I have a studio assistant who would come in like four days a week to help me make them back then so we could have enough product Mm -hmm. for these shows and I think that scale is only possible when you're not making every single item Mm -hmm. um and so for me what I found was when I started doing shows I would just pick the ones where again it's like would I go to this if I wasn't didn't have to Mm -hmm. is my rule for doing a show Mm -hmm. would I go as just a regular person yeah and that's how I choose the shows. So, like, the ones that you see me at are because they're run by mutual friends of ours. Right. You know? Or um, they're a local steampunk show, which, like, is how cool is that? It's to amazing. See, <laughs> to see, like, all of the people the in their steampunk outfits. It's, awesome. it's yeah. amazing. And so much fun. And there's, like, music and things. Like, yeah. There's a four-day video game convention that I go to in, in D.C. And I would go if I was didn't have to be there because that's where my people are. Mm-hmm. That's where I have a good time. And so that's how I pick my shows. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah, and I so, only do 12. Right, right. And so you, you recommended Emily McDowell's Substack, so mm-hmm. folks can go seek that out. Yeah. Um, but if you have any other recommendations of things that you are enjoying right now that you would recommend to a creative friend. 
Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I have a ton of picture books uh, recommendations, but just one that popped in my brain right now. Um, Leanne Cho, she also has a Substack, stack, um, but her picture book, her and Adam Rex just did Oh No, Here Come the Aunts, which is a, a new picture book. So if any of you are aunties out there, um, it's a fun, fun little picture book and the illustrations are amazing. Um, and then another friend of uh, who I've been friends with since college as well. Um, his company just put out a new mobile game called Puzzle Wizards, um, which I've been testing. Uh, and so, but now I think it's an open test, so you can download that at the App Store. But it's a fun little game where you're a little wizard and you get a little familiar and you go around and like mix different wands and you can battle with other people online and it's really fun. Okay, great. Those are two very good recommendations and both very creative. So thank you. Well, Jen, thank you so much for being on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. It was just great visiting you here in the hot and being able to talk to you about your career. Awesome. Thank you so much, Abby. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was brought to you by Craftsy. Calling all crafters. Are you ready to dive deep into your favorite crafting projects and learn new techniques along the way? then it's time to join Craftsy Premium Membership. For only $1.49, you'll receive a full year of access to expert-led tutorials, patterns, and projects in every category you can imagine. With a massive library of resources at your fingertips, you'll be able to create your best work yet and bring your crafting dreams to life. Don't wait. Sign up now at craftsyoffers.com and discover the endless possibilities of Craftsy Premium Membership. Thank you so much, Craftsy. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.